before I moved to Connecticut, I grew up in South Florida. And I remember my parents and our family friends, uh, it was like, like my childhood best friend and her parents uh, would, would go to uh, marriage equality rallies together when I was maybe like four or five back when it was um, back when same-sex marriage was only legal in a few states, was not legal in Florida yet, would not be for um, a while longer. But I remember uh, like my friend and I would make, would like draw little signs of like, <laughs> you know, like two moms and two dads. There's some pictures of it, it's cute. I feel like that's, that's probably when I was maybe four or five. Um, and going to, my parents would bring me along to a lot of, a lot of protests like that when I was young. I was on a school trip, I think in like 2003, and we were in DC and, um, someone asked me if I was a Republican or a Democrat. And I said, which one is George W. Bush? And they said, a Republican. I said that I'm definitely a Democrat. And then I think that kind of guided it, um, up until this, <laughs> for like the first like couple of years of it. And then like when Obama ran, I was like, oh, I kind of understand what it means to be a Democrat now. Um, but definitely that moment. I guess I was probably four and my parents were talking about the 2004 election, the presidential election. And I did not, I remember that they were like nervous about it, but I didn't, I didn't really know what that meant. I thought they were like nervous about it. And I thought that I was like, do I need to be worried about this? And I was four and they were like, no, like, <laughs> you know, we're concerned about this, but like, you don't need to be like scared about this. Okay. Um, and what's your earliest political memory? Um, Barack Obama's first inauguration. Um, we lived in North Carolina at the time and I was six. And so we drove up to DC. Um, and I was in my like little snowsuit and I had an American flag in the back pocket and we ended up having to walk a really long ways to get in and I was like we're going we got to see him get inaugurated um but we were there we were in the crowd when he when he took the oath so that was it was a good day that was the voice of Chloe Moore a rising sophomore at McAllister College they're one of many young people who joined political campaigns during the pandemic this is Julia Donahue and welcome to part two of pandemic politics Today we'll be exploring how compromised candidates change campaigns, and if they're worth the effort. Moore spent the summer as a social media intern for Anna Kellis' successful state senate campaign in New York. Currently, she's a volunteer for Veronica Pillar's campaign for Tompkins County Legislature, the seat that Anna Kellis left. Basically, just, you know, funneling all of our endorsements um, platform and like voting information into uh, our Instagram and our Twitter. So translating like the platform copy from the website into more digestible, you know, graphic content. Um, I'm the main like conduit for all of our endorsements. That's how we're putting them out is on social media. Um, and then also interacting with our volunteers and other electeds who are supporting us as well as local journalism um, just to make sure that we, we have a little good little universe going on. As more considers their role in social media campaigning for a politician during a pandemic, they come to the conclusion that maybe that's not all this generation is built for. As a young person who works in social media, I also think that young people should be hired for jobs beyond social media. I think there's kind of a tendency to 
you know, oh, you're young, so you must be a social media whiz. So that's the only thing we're going to hire you for, um, as opposed to like bringing our viewpoints into policy and into comms and into operations, all that kind of stuff. So I do think that, you know, in the same way that you shouldn't only hire women to lead your task force on women, um, you know, I, I do think that campaigns that don't listen to young people are at a disadvantage. I think we bring in a really good new perspective. I think we're, you know, effective team members. I think we bring a lot of dynamism to the conversation. Due to the inflammation of social media use by politicians and political groups, accounts have popped up across Twitter, encouraging voters and organizing their constituents. Organizer Memes is one such account. You're about to hear a DM from a frustrated field organizer for Joe Biden. This is an anonymous DM they got, which you might have seen, but it just says, I'm wondering if there are other former Biden field organizers like me who, separate from him already not being our choice going into the election, which you've described, um, are so frustrated that we worked our ass off just to be met with empty promises. I got him into office, only told him accountable, and looks like it's still needed because no stimulus, which is no longer true, um, no student debt cancellation, deportation still alive and well. So... What do you think of that comment? And are you satisfied with how things are going so far? Um, I'm not satisfied. I, there was like this time where I got hopeful and I got excited. Um, and I thought kind of like between the election and the inauguration, I guess I was like, I think that uh, I just started feeling kind of hopeful. Um, and then, yeah, well, what really got me was when the Senate voted no on a $15 minimum wage. That felt really, I was like, oh gosh, that felt very symbolic, I guess, um, because I know, so, I know so many organizers who went to Georgia, like they worked on for in the presidential full time and then they continued working full time. Um, I just like did phone banking and stuff like that. And just like people worked so hard, so many hours and like so many weeks and months of their lives that like so many people spent the whole last year just getting people in office. And then in return, these senators told us that we don't deserve $15 an hour. No, I would not have. If I if I had a choice, I would not have wanted to work for Joe Biden. Um, would I ever work for a compromise candidate in the future? I mean, I think in some ways it's like if I could have chosen to work, if like if it kind of depends on the situation. Because if I if I have the choice of working on like. Joe Biden's campaign or working for like a progressive elsewhere I'll choose working for a progressive elsewhere however if I'm sort of at a point in whatever personal or professional situation I'm in where it's like work for a compromise candidate or get a lower ranking job or something outside of politics I don't know I mean I think part of it is that like with Biden he was a compromised candidate going up against such a severe and extreme and 
fundamental threat of a campaign. And I think that sort of underlines, you know, I, I feel like if Joe Biden was running against Mitt Romney, I would have been far less motivated to work for him or as well as volunteer or vote for him than if he was running against um, Mr. Trump. So, so I, I, I guess that might rationalize the compromise candidate thing. I can 1000% understand that reaction. Um, it's very difficult to see beyond the like black and white of politics when, you know, you fought your heart out, you were not paid. You, you went out there, especially in a pandemic, and your person's not doing the things that they said that they were going to do. Um, as a field organizer, perhaps that person's paid. So um, the, the other reaction is like, it's very difficult. Uh, there's two levels. And this is this is what goes into what I like to think about the educational piece of any campaign job, where I think it's really important that as a camp, like any campaign offers some type of like educational piece to it, to really like walk through what the campaign or like what the politics of campaigning looks like and then the actual execution and the actual execution requires it's just it's it's so not black and white there's levels to it um i'm not going into the specific issues that like the person spoke about but like a lot of it requires compromise a lot of it requires moving the levers of government um a lot of it requires leverage and that's very difficult than just firing off a tweet when you're a candidate are firing off a press release when you're a candidate. Um, so is that reaction justified? Yes and no. It's justified in the sense of if you're fighting your heart out for someone and that someone does not execute what you want, especially in the time frame that you're looking for, I get it. You'd be let down like if your friend told you they'd hang out today and they didn't want to. Press it's a really low level version of that. But like, I think it, I, I, a lot of it comes down to like what you thought you were getting out of that candidate. Um, I mean, like for Biden, I was in Minnesota. I voted for him in Minnesota. Um, so I go to college. Um, I went to some events. I, you know, it, it, it was disappointing. I voted for Warren in the primary. Um, I, I think for Biden, like, yes, I was willing to support him despite not agreeing with him on a lot of stuff. My hope is that in the future, we will not need to do that. Um, and I think that it's also, you know, the the scales are like on a, for local races and for primaries, the answer is no, I'm not working for candidates that I disagree with. Like I wouldn't work for Amy Klobuchar in a primary. I, she's just <laughs> so annoyed with her sometimes. Um, and I, you know, like, I think it's unlikely she would lose a Democratic primary. I would still work for a challenger from the left to her because I think that it's important that we push that conversation to the left. That being said, once you enter the general, you know, Minnesota's a swing state. Um, I wouldn't work for a third party candidate that I thought would take votes away from Amy Klobuchar because I think she's better than most of the people that the Minnesota GOP would run. So that's kind of how I felt about Biden. Definitely not going to work for him in the primary. I understood that he was the, you know, the best option in the general um, for local races. I stick with candidates that I agree with. Working within the confines of the government as it is, and they are trying to please certain people. And you 
if we put too much hope in like electoral politics, I think it's a problem. And I think that, um, I think that, I think that um, someone like Joe Biden, there's different people running for office. I don't think they're ever going to be able to hit like all the checkpoints, even if they align almost perfectly with what you believe. And I think that no, I, 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 don't, I don't know if it's like a pessimistic way of looking at it or just like a, I think that, um, I think that it's, it's important to, well, well, one, it's important to try to support someone who you feel like will truly get what you want done first. And I think that, like, like that, that, that's the first reason. I, th- I think if you have any inkling that, that this person may not do that, or they aren't really appealing for real change, um, then I think it's important to either like, recognize that, so you don't put your hopes up, or find someone else to support. Um, but I think that when it comes to, when it comes to um, this, you know, presidential election, um, I think that so many people were just like, oh, and like now that Trump's gone, things are just gonna be better, like automatically. But I think we were forgetting like who we have in office. Despite reservations about his policies, Biden's White House run was defined by progressive organizers in the field. Hannah Stern, a rising sophomore at Swarthmore College, is one organizer. I had like uh, I had my turf that was assigned to me. It was um, a couple of different like townships in the suburbs of Philadelphia, and it was um, basically I was organizing volunteers to phone bank. Um, the last month we did a little bit of in-person canvassing and stuff like that, but for most of it. It was all virtual, so I would uh, call <laughs> lots of calls um, to people, recruit volunteers, um, train and set up phone banks and um, kind of like different kinds of virtual events for my volunteer team as well to build their skills and stuff like that. Stern believes that while Biden's bid was successful, there's more that can be done to ensure healthy environments for voters, volunteers, and organizers. I think that we need like a culture shift because um, I think that a lot of people, especially older generations, um, don't really see, I guess, I think that our politicians and our representatives, they owe their constituents something. Their constituents got them in office and they are, they're serving their constituents. Um, And I don't think that we all see it that way in the US. I think sometimes we see it like, it's like, I don't know. There are these people and like, if they get, they gave us some meeting time and we should thank our representatives for finding time to meet with us, stuff like that. Um, but yeah, I think if we can kind of change our mindset and just remember that representatives are, they're public servants, they're working for their constituents. One of the things like I'm really grateful for, for both Anna's campaign and now Veronica's is the fact that they're really cognizant of the fact that like as they 
single, you know, as the only young woman on the campaign, that I'm like already at kind of a demographic disadvantage. And so Anna would like go out of her way to, you know, ask for my opinion on the campaign. And there was an incident on Veronica's campaign with a, a contractor who was with us for a while being quite unprofessional in what turned into a very weird phone call with me. And Veronica texted me and she was like, just want to let you know that he's no longer working with us and I'm having a conversation with him about the way that he treats young women in professional settings. So like that kind of fostering a healthy campaign environment is super important. Um, and I think that that does fall on the candidate and they're like higher ups. And then I think there's a part of it that, you know, I, th I think you have to like figure out what your limits are um, if you're signing up to volunteer or, you know, to get hired. And that was something that I, actually ended up doing my senior year of high school. I ended up being super overcommitted to extracurriculars. And at the end of her semester, I was like, okay, this is a hard decision, but I got to let some stuff go. Because even though I love all the things that I signed up for, I can't follow through on all of it. And so I'm going to stick to things that are really fulfilling. And one of those things ended up being Anna's campaign, which was a, an exciting decision to get to make. But um, yeah, I think there's a balance between you know, knowing what you're capable of committing to as an individual and then fostering a, a culture of, you know, sensitivity to people's mental health and to group dynamics as a candidate or as a campaign manager. As these young organizers reflect on the unique 2020 election cycle, they're left wondering, are compromised candidates worth the work? So I canvassed for Heidi Sloan, who was in the primary against Julie Oliver. Um, and then I didn't personally do any work for Julie Oliver, but Sunrise Movement did. Um, so like, you know, I have, there's people I know who went from Heidi Sloan to Julie Oliver canvassing. Um, I think, I think that's kind of how you should be. Like, there were a lot of people who were like, um, Julie's good enough, you know? And they, they're not wrong, but there's there's no reason to go for the candidate who's good enough to go for the one that you think is going to be the best for the people but then um once the primary is over it is over and it was time to support julie oliver even though she didn't didn't make it through um she was in that case too she was the better option so that's something my dad used to say, like in my soccer games, like you care about winning until the game is over. So, um, and then once the game's over, you're thinking about the next game. So it's like, you know, you have this candidate and you go for the one that's going to be the best. And then at a certain point, that candidate's not in anymore. And now you're going to support the next candidate who's going to be the best. I don't know if you can, I can swear, but if you feel like shit at the end of the campaign, you didn't totally win you lost a little bit because it's not about it's about making the world better so you're not making the world better if you're not making your life a little better yes. straddling pragmatism and progressivism these young organizers believe that this doesn't have to be the future. Looking forward, they hope for less compromise and more locally-based progressive candidates. This was Pandemic Politics, and I'm Julia Donahue.